and and then he's going to give them the only way that that is possible. And the only way that that's possible for them to walk in unity is for them, for each one of them to have what he describes as the mind of Christ. Now the question is, what is the, what is the mind of Christ? And Paul uses the word mind throughout, mind throughout the first two chapters of Philippians. And, and each, in each case, he's not using it quite as we uh, normally would, because when we use the word mind, we often talk about things that pertain to our mental faculties, some type of study, or, or maybe, or, or brain power, if you will. But Paul is, is using it in a way here that goes much deeper than that, right? It goes beyond just me, a mental exercise, and it includes our entire attitude, our demeanor, or we could use this word, our mindset. We, he would say, let, have the same mindset, if you will, as Christ. The whole way that you live your life, everything that you do, it includes your internal thoughts, it includes your internal attitudes, as well as your external actions. And so it involves how you think, it involves how you feel, it involves how you act. In a nutshell, it's your attitude that affects your actions. It's your mindset that affects the way you live, and your mindset will determine the outcome of your life. Amen? That's just Orion just giving me my amen corner back there, okay? Uh, So Paul says this, that we should have the mindset, the attitude of Jesus. And look at what he says in verse 6 about Jesus. He says, this is who Jesus is, who being in in very nature God, catch this, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Can you imagine what heaven must be like? Can you imagine what it will be like for you and I to be in the presence of our triune God? Can you imagine how, how incredible the glory of God is? And, and, and can you imagine what it was like for Jesus to willingly give up his high and holy estate in the presence of the Father, in the communion with the Holy Spirit, and to give all of that up, not just giving up the beauty of living in God's in the presence of God's glory, but giving up the fullest and most beautiful relationship possible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in perfect fellowship, perfect community, perfect relationship. Three perfect, infinite beings, fully united and completely uh, united so fully and completely that they're, they're, they're essentially one essence. One God and three persons united in perfect relationship, one to another, eternally unbroken, unhindered, unchanged, unlimited. All of that until one quiet night in Bethlehem, right? In the King James, it says, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In verse 6, it literally means thought it, as, as the NIV brings it out, he thought it not something to be grasped or, de- or desperately held on to. So all of that unimaginable beauty of dwelling in the presence and the glory of God, Jesus said this, I'm willing to let all of that go for you for me. Isn't that something? Isn't, isn't that the complete opposite of what Satan did? Because Sa- what did Satan do? He said this, I will be like the most high. Out of Satan's pride, he tried to grasp something that wasn't his to grasp. He tried to take something that wasn't given to him. He tried to, to occupy a place that wasn't for him. But out of Jesus' humility, he thinks it not robbery, and he willingly gives up what was rightfully his and his alone. That's where the baby in the manger came from. 
But let's see what he came to be. Look in verse 7. He says this, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Greek word, kanao, uh, refers to, to empty out, to render void, to be emptied. In other words, without recognition, perceived as valueless. King James Version says, made himself of no reputation, but literally means he emptied himself out. In other words, Jesus willingly chose to empty himself of his position in heaven, right? Jesus willingly chose to empty himself of his dwelling place in the glory of God. Jesus willingly chose to empty himself of his complete and intimate relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And as God in the flesh, he willingly chose to limit his divine attributes. So he limited his omnipresence. He wasn't everywhere at once, right? He limited his omnipotence. He became tired and hungry according to the limits of his flesh, his his, his human body. He limited his omniscience while he was in the flesh. He didn't know everything because he had willingly emptied himself. He did not know the day of his own return. So here we have it. God the Son, God incarnate, God in the flesh. He's still God. But he chose to empty himself. He chose to make himself of no reputation. Did that mean that the baby in the manger was no longer God? Absolutely not. But what it means is this. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, didn't selfishly grasp onto or hold onto or cling to his place in heaven, but he emptied himself of that position in place. He made himself of no reputation by limiting his divine attributes and became as we are. But he was still fully God, but he limited, limited himself to being man at the same time. And when, he, when you look at the, those nativity scenes, right, like the one that your neighbor may have next door to you, right, that's what, where the baby in the manger came from, and that's what he came to be, and that's what he came to do. But the question would be, why did he do that? Verse 8 gives us the answer to that. Verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus did everything for one purpose. He willingly left his glorious place in heaven for one reason. He emptied himself and became a man for one reason. And what was that reason? It was to die. Ultimately, to die. But it was really more than that. Because if that was the only thing, he could have just appeared on the scene right before his time to be crucified and been crucified and and gotten the job done. But the main focus of this verse is this, that Jesus humbled himself. And that's important, but that's not the focus. Jesus died on the cross. That's important, but that's not the focus. The focus of this verse is that he humbled himself. And the reason why he went to the cross was because he was obedient. He was obedient to the will of the Father. Jesus lived his life here on earth in perfect submission and perfect obedience to the Father. And even when that obedience led him to death, even when it led him not only to death, but led him to the most cruel, inhumane death imaginable to anyone. You get that, you get this this morning. God's love for you is so overwhelming that the Father willed for his Son to die so that you wouldn't have to. That's the love we sang about this morning. 
Jesus emptied himself. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He, for 33 years, he lived a perfect, sinless life. He willingly allowed himself to be beaten, bruised, cursed, mocked, and hung on a cross. And all of that out of obedience to the Father. All because God loved you so much that he wanted you to be reconciled to himself. All because God loved you so much as in the verse that Greg learned as a little boy, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would, should not perish but have everlasting life. That's some good news. I got my Christmas present. It's right there. Amen. But listen, what, what are the responses to, you know, there, there, there are a set of responses to, to this incarnation to this the baby who comes on the scene and the first is the father's response and you see this in verse 9 it says because Jesus in obedience humbled himself and became obedient unto death even death on a cross verse 9 says therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name so because God the son Jesus right the second person of the Trinity, God, Jesus, the Son of God, because he didn't think that his position was in heaven was something to be held on to because he was willing to empty himself to, of his position and his glory and become a man because he was willing to humble himself in obedience even to the point of dying the, the cruelest death imaginable. Because of that, the Father has bestowed on him ultimate glory. Because of his obedience, the baby in the manger is highly exalted by the Father throughout eternity. He's given a name that's above every name. That's the Father's response. But creation has a response as well in verse 10 and 11. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the response of all creation must bow before the throne. All creation must bow before the, the Son of God who has been, been exalted to the highest place and given a name that is above every name. But then finally, there's one other response, and that's what we, we're here to talk about today. And that's our response to Christ's humility and his obedience. Still part of the then. If all of these things are true, if Jesus died for you, if there's consolation in Christ, if there's love in God, if there's, if there's if there's, if, if there's all of the blessings that we have, if, if God has done so many wonderful things for us, then what are we to do? Our response to Christ's humility, to Christ's obedience, still part of the then or the, 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 the therefore of the condition was found in verses 12 through 18. Look at what he says. He says, therefore, the word therefore, if all of these things is true and if Jesus Christ emptied himself and, and became one of us and, and died on the cross in total obedience to the Father, all to save us from our sins. If all of these things are true, then this is what must take place. This is how we must respond. We realize we're saved by grace through faith, and there's nothing we can do to earn or work up or make ourselves, create our salvation. But there are appropriate responses to what has been given to us and what has been granted us and what we've been graced with, right? And so he says in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, catch the connection, not only in my presence, but now more, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice he didn't say work for, right? He said work out. For it is God who works in you 
to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, he's going to give us some, some brass tacks here, some, some, bottom, some real stuff here, okay? This is, stuff that, this is real stuff that you can do, right? He says in verse 14, this is how we demonstrate, this is how we respond to Christ's humility. This is, how, this is how we demonstrate the mindset of Christ. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Wow. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And I like what he says here. He says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I, that is Paul, being, am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is what he says in verse 5. He says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Remember in Matthew, second chapter, a star led the way to the babe in the manger, right? And now you and I become shining stars in the midst of of a hopeless generation in the midst of all of the darkness all around us leading people to Christ as we hold forth the word of life. I had an interesting dream last night, uh, or series of dreams, and I don't remember much of them, but I remember, and I, don't, and, I, and I lose the details, but I remember in this one moment I was somewhere, going somewhere with some people, and, there was, it was, and someone had the ability to, and it's probably because I saw this Three Stooges episode yesterday. <laughs> And I don't even normally watch them. I, <laughs> yuck, yuck, yuck. Uh, but but uh, and it was this one where they were in, uh, where um, Curly's uncle or somebody had died, and they went to the house, uh, and it was like they were in this dark room. They turned the lights out, and they, they saw a bird, a skeleton head on a bird. Long story. But in this in this dream, though, I, I was it, I, I I remembered it because it was it was being outside in the daytime. And someone had the ability to make it dark. But I remember in the dream, the sense that I felt was that the darkness was darker and more, more, more chilling and more terrifying than any darkness I've ever experienced. I've been in dark places. Now, in L.A., you don't find much darkness because most of, you know, we've got streetlights everywhere. And like in our houses now, we have to buy darkening blinds to keep all of the, 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 the ambient light out. But in this, in, 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 in this dream, I just remember it was like this, like, all of a sudden it became dark and it was like terrifying because it's like because in most cases if there's some dark you almost can always make out something maybe you know a little there's a little peep of light something that was like and, and being outside right and, and i thought about it this morning i was saying you know that's really in the spiritual sense that's the environment that we live among in the world is that it's really abject and and total darkness apart from god apart from christ right but he's saying that it is us as the people of God, as God's children, the saints, if you will. You know, the, the, you know it, it, is, it is the body of Christ that we shine in the midst of this incredible bleak and, and total darkness. We shine in the midst of it. And so it is through us that, that people find their way to Christ as we hold forth the word of life. Yes. Don't you know that there are people... They don't know what they're looking for, but they're frantically searching for God, yeah. right? Uh, they're trying to, you know, and of course, everyone now, everyone walks around now all the time like this, getting hit by cars, you know, 
you know, and social media and all that stuff, you know, uh, and, and, and I, 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 you know, and it's like, but you know what, it, it, even in that people are somehow, they're looking for meaning, they're looking for substance, they're looking for value, they're looking for, they're looking for something in life that makes sense, and ultimately people are being driven by the innate hunger for God, and we were created with that innate hunger, right? People are frantically searching for God. And so it is up to us as the church. It is up to us as God's people. It is up to us as Christ followers to, to help show people the way. Because a lot of folks don't know who or what they're searching for until they see the mindset of Christ in you. Until they see real love, until they see truth and holiness and, and the power of God demonstrated in the life of the church, in the life of God's people, in the lives of God's people. They didn't know what they were looking for, but they said, oh, that's it. And I need that. Paul is saying to the Philippians, in essence, to see you all get what it means to live for Christ, to, to see you working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, not in a, in a sense of abject fear, but in a sense of, of a reverent fear and an honor of God and, and, and being careful to get it right because it, it's the most important thing in your life, to see you walking in complete love and unity. He says, Paul says, that will make my joy complete. In other words, Paul is saying to see you walking in real joy will give me real joy. I can relate to that as a pastor. To see, to see the folks that I, that, that, that I lead, to see the congregation that, that I, I, I shepherd, to see you walking in the joy of the Lord, to see you being blessed, to see you growing in the faith, and those things bring me joy. I'll tell you the truth. That's why I, I like to hear. I like to hear a share. I like to hear what God is doing in the lives of others. I like to hear what God is saying to you. I like to see how God is working in your lives. Thank you, Leola, for sharing that with me this morning. That encourages me, and it brings me joy to see y'all finding deeper joy in Christ, right? He's saying to see you walking in real joy, Paul is saying, that gives me joy. So he, he, what he's saying ultimately in, in, in all those words, he says, so it's worth the heartache, it's worth the pain, it's worth the suffering, it's worth the persecution to see you find real joy. That brings me joy. So people talk about Christmas spirit. Remember a song, remember a song, a Ray Charles song we did with Willie, the, that spirit of Christmas? You know, and I don't know what Ray was talking about in that song, but people talking about the Christmas spirit, but the real Christmas spirit and the thing that matters most in this season is the mindset of obedience and humility that results in our, as the people of God, living in unity. You get that? <laughs> Isn't it ironic and oxymoronic and, and, and uh, whatever else? And moronic to see us as sometimes as the church trying to celebrate the birth of the Savior, the incarnation of, of God, the person of the Son, Jesus, to celebrate the babe born in the manger, to be celebrating Christmas. And Christmas is really all about what Paul is writing here in Philippians. It's about us coming together in uni unity and humility. And what, isn't it something that in churches you go everywhere, people, they're fighting over what song to sing. They're arguing over what kind of decorations they're going to have. They're, they're, they're getting ready to leave the church because they, they, they didn't like the way that Christmas song or they didn't sing my song or they put Go Tell It in the Mountain on the wrong, in the wrong key. Or, 
Pastor didn't wear a red shirt on Christmas or, you know. They're fighting over stuff in the church when you're supposed to be celebrating Jesus. Who The mindset of Christ is a mindset of unity, a mindset of humility. And it's, it's like that across the board. We, we're doing church, folks, when we're, when we're serving Jesus, when we're trying to be the people of God in a perverse and corrupt and dark generation. And, and we get hung up in disunity and, and in and, and, you know, antagonism and animosity over little things that don't even matter. And don't you know that when people see that, who are looking for truth, I don't, I've, there are people that, they found more, they found more harmony, you know, at the, at the PTA. They found more harmony, you know, with their bowling league or something. You know, it's like, look at the church. We can't, Paul is saying, listen, this is not only the spirit of Christmas, but it's the spirit of Christ. This is what you as a church are supposed to be. And so it's a mindset of obedience and humility that results in our living in unity. Amen? And that humility and obedience, it was modeled to us. When we look at the life of Christ, that's what we see. And it's that humility that will enable us to uh, remain in Jesus, or to remain in his joy, and to be, in the words of this text, shining stars illuminating the way to Christ. I know some of y'all grew up singing, shining star for you to see what your life can truly be. Born a man, child of the sun, saw my life had just begun, whatever, you know. But no, and even in a, in a song like that, Earth, Wind, and Fire, 1970-something, it's the idea of be a shining star for what? For yourself? For you to see what your life? Or be a shining star so others can see what God has placed in you and what he wants to demonstrate and to, to project to the world around you. And so... Let me tell you, as I'm about to wrap this up, but Paul is saying, you get what Paul is saying? He says, make my joy complete. But let me tell you something. I think that Jesus is saying to us today in similar, in similar terms, he says, listen, for you as my church, for you as my child to live this way, for you to have my mindset, for you to be obedient to me, for you to, to, to walk in humility towards other people, for you to, to demonstrate my love to the world around you, for you to be, to be that kind of a person that, that lives as I live, that, that demonstrates my mindset, that, that you, you're willing to let go of your, you know what I'm talking about, willing to give up the parking space, willing to, to defer to your brother or sister on something that, that doesn't really matter, willing to, to take the back seat, willing to, 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 to relinquish the privilege, willing to give somebody else the, the, the benefit of the doubt, willing to, 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 to let go a grievance, willing to let go something that was wrong that was done to you, willing to, 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 to lay it all down, willing to, 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 to go for what might be, seem to be beneath you, what you think you should have and who you think you should be. Willing to forego the titles and the, and, and the accolades and all of that stuff. The mindset of Christ. And I think that Jesus would say to us that when I see my, my, my kids living this way, when I see my children walking in love and unity, when I see my, 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 my people showing folks in the world what that love looks like, then it makes, it makes his joy complete. It makes the heart of Jesus glad. And so let's do this this Christmas. I'm about to wrap this up, but let's do this. I, I'm going to... I'm not. Don't worry too much about, now you might, if you want, if you had in mind to give me a Christmas gift, I'm not going to discourage that. <laughs> but let's not worry so much about what we're going to give to each other. I know that we're going to give, we, we take care of the kids, but, uh, and, you know, I told y'all I hate Secret Santa and I got to get the stuff for this week at work. But, but listen, it's my wife's helping me because, you know, but, 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 but listen, let's, let, let's, let's take the, the, the focus off of, of, of 
what gifts we're giving to each other and putting in a box and putting on their tree and wrapping up in little gift bags and with little foil wrap. Sometimes the hassle of getting the gift wrap is more than getting the gift. And you go to the store, they've run out of gift wrap, and you can't, or you get the gift wrap and they have no more scotch tape. You know? But, but let's, let's, focus on, let's focus on this. Let's focus on making sure that we, in this season, give Jesus a, a, this gift and that we go forward throughout all the year and that we give him this gift that keeps on giving, that we give him the gift of making his joy complete by being of one mind, loving one another, being humble before one another, laying down our lives for one another, showing the world what it looks like to live like Jesus, modeling the mindset of Christ. Let's give Jesus that gift for Christmas. Would you agree to that? But let's give Jesus that gift 365 days of the year. Amen? 24-7. Let's make that our aim. To do as Paul says, to demonstrate the mind of Christ, the mindset of Christ, to have that. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Amen?